My name's Mark. I'm the vicar here. And what we're going to do now is spend a few moments looking at that fourth reading from Matthew's Gospel. It's on page 13 of the booklets. Feel free to blow out your candle at this stage if you want. I know some of you like to hold it for as long as possible so you can keep going it to the end. But what I want to do this evening is start with a mini Christmas quiz. I get to get us ready for uh, Christmas. I've got three questions for you. It's to do with this passage, the fourth reading, so no looking, no peeping, but see if you can get all questions uh, right. Okay, here's, here's number one. Question number one. How many kings came to visit Jesus at the first Christmas? Okay? How many kings came to visit Jesus at the first Christmas? You can keep, we won't shout it out, but you can keep the, uh, the answers in your head. Okay, so hopefully you've all got an answer. And the correct answer is none. What, you say? If you glance down at the passage, you'll see in verse 2, or is it verse 1, that Magi came from the east. Magi, they are not kings. They are wise men. Some of you may know the carol, We Three Kings from Orient Are. Completely wrong. Should have been called We Three Kings from Orient Aren't. That carol was written by a clergyman, by a vicar. I don't know what he was thinking. He was American, maybe explain something. If you are American here, we are very welcome. We've got Americans in the church. Great to have you here. Question number two. Okay. How many wise men, how many magi came to worship Jesus at the first Christmas? Okay. Got an answer in your head? Do you all have the, 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 the answer three? Wrong answer. <gasps> I thought there were three wise men. No. We are not told in this passage how many wise men. There are three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we are not told how many wise men, how many majors. It could have been three, could have been five, could have been, could have been a whole group of them. Anyway, last question. I'm going to make it a bit easier for you. True or false? The wise men visited Jesus as a baby in the manger. True or false? All got an answer? The answer is false. <gasps> I know. All those Christmas cards, all these nativity scenes with the wise men. Nope. Jesus is a child, we're told, in verse 9, by the time the wise men arrive. They're living in a house now, verse 11. So if you want to set up a nativity scene at home, you want to put the wise men in your flatmates, you know, the other room or in the kitchen, right? They're on the way. They're not here. Anyway, who got all three questions right? No, I didn't either. It's not fascinating. I mean, here is one of the most famous stories of all time. And we have just heard this passage read out to us. How easy it is to miss out on some of the key details in this story. Now, if you get the number of wise men right, or right, that doesn't really matter. But my goodness, what the wise men show us about the true meaning of Christmas, about the very heart of worship, that is something I do not want any of us to miss this evening. So let's take a look at the passage now. You'll see the word worship come up three times in the passage, verse 2, verse 8, verse 11. I'm not sure about you, but I used to think that worship was something that only religious people did, that worship was only for people who you know, went along to church or synagogue or the mosque. But you think about it for a moment. We all live for something. Um, we all put value on things that we think will bring meaning and purpose to our lives. 
And worship is simply the outward expression of what we value the most in life. So, you know, a colleague who's working all hours in the office, sometimes to the detriment of his friendships and his family, you know, we would say of them that they worship their job because they value it the most. Or people who tend to talk about themselves in conversation always bring the conversation back to themselves. We say they worship themselves because life is all about them. In one sense, we all worship something. A person who understood this really well was the late American author David Foster Wallace. Not a religious person himself, but speaking to a cohort of graduating students, he said this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally bury you in the ground. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Now, look, I don't know what you make of that quote. I'd love to know your thoughts afterwards. But we see this play out in our passage with King Herod, who worships power, and he tries to cling to his power at all costs. Just look at him in verse 3. When King Herod heard this and heard about the one being born king of the Jews, he was disturbed, literally shaken to the core. He is deeply troubled about this person who has been born king of the Jews. He feels threatened by him. So much so that in verse 7, he secretly gets the Magi together. He says, hey, can you go find out where this boy is and tell me so I can go worship him, which is a complete lie and a ruse, because in the very next section of Matthew's Gospel, he plots to kill Jesus. And when that fails, he orders the extermination of every boy in Bethlehem under the age of two. And so with King Herod, we see this worship of power turn him into a complete monster. Now, Let me be clear that that doesn't mean if we worship the things of this world, we're all going to turn into mass murderers. Of course not. But what it does mean is that things that we often live for and we place our value in, whether we call it worship or not, the things of this world are fragile, they're fleeting, and if we worship them, if we look to them for ultimate meanings, they will all let us down, ultimately. They will all fail us. If it's health, if it's fitness, if it's how you look, if those are the things you live for, look for meaning and purpose to your life. What if a serious illness strikes? What if you get that phone call from the doctor? What about when your body begins to deteriorate in old age, as it will for all of us? If that's what you're living for, if that's your me, that is going to shake you to the core. If it's your career that you value the most, that you think will ultimately satisfy you, whether it's the kudos you get from it, the money from it. What if a string of redundancy sweeps through your office? 
What about the time when you have to retire and it comes to an end and it's taken from you? How are you going to cope then? If it's relationships that we're living for, that you value the most, and I imagine that's what most of us think life is about. What about when friends move on? What if the marriage relationship breaks down? What about when death will separate each and every one of us from each other and from all our loved ones? Nothing lasts in this world. And that's why these things we live for, we think will bring meaning and purpose to our lives, they never truly satisfy. They never give us the the hope, the joy that we thought they would. Ed Sheeran, UK singer-songwriter, after finishing a record-breaking run of shows at Wembley in 2015, he said this, it sounds weird saying it, but you don't really feel anything. You think it would be like, aha, this is it, I've made it, oh my gosh, but you finish it and you're like, well, what do I do now? The best-selling British novelist Jack Higgins, at the peak of his success, when asked what he'd like to have known as a younger man, said, I wish I'd known that when you get to the top, there is nothing there. The British writer Dolly Alderton describes a moment when her friend Hannah turned to her on the night of her 30th birthday and asked her, is this it? Is this all life is? Just going to Tottenham Court Road and ordering stuff off Amazon. Now, look, I don't know if any of this is resonating with you at all this evening, but look, we're all trying to make sense of this thing called life. We're all trying to work out why we're here. We're all thinking, hey, what were we meant to live for? What are the things that will last, that won't disappoint us? Where can you and I find true satisfaction this Christmas? And I want to suggest that the wise men in this passage show us the way. Verse 11, on coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Just think of the distance. These wise men have traveled hundreds of miles just so they can see Jesus and visit Jesus. Think of the cost of all these gifts they bring to him and lay down before him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Think of how foolish they might have looked to others bowing down to a child. But we're told in verse 10, that they are overjoyed. Had this deep sense of satisfaction welling up in their hearts and flowing out of them. And it is all because of who this child is. The one in whom real meaning and real satisfying joy is to be found. There is so much we could say about this child who Jesus Christ grows up to be, his teaching, what he does. But just look at a few of the hints that we're given here in our passage. Verse 1, the one born king. I mean, that is an interesting phrase. King Charles in this country had to wait 73 years until he became king. Jesus Christ, born king. The king of kings, the lord of lords. His kingdom will never end. The one who will never fail us. Or let us down. He rose from the dead. Unlike the things of this world, he is not fragile. His kingdom is not fleeting. He will never fail you. Verse 4, the Messiah, the one promise from the Old Testament, like this prophecy from Micah, 
the one who will one day put everything right in this world. It's amazing as you look at the life of Jesus, the incredible joy he brings to people in such spectacular ways and often miraculous ways. The joy of the disciples as he calms the storm with just a word. The overflowing joy as he's healing people's sicknesses, as he restores people's bodies. The unimaginable joy as he brings people back from the dead, friends, daughters, all of it a trailer, a taster, a picture of what Jesus Christ will one do for this whole world when he returns in glory. And the joy then for all his people as everything is put right again. Verse 6, the ruler and shepherd of his people, Jesus Christ, he's the one with all power, all authority. But it doesn't turn him into a monster like Herod. Instead, ultimately, Jesus Christ uses his power for the sake of others, those in need, you and me, a shepherd, a good shepherd, who lays down his life for his sheep, who at the end of his life is dying for you and for me, dying for our sin, dying for all those times that we worship the things of this world rather than God, worship the gifts rather than the giver. And he dies in our place so we can be forgiven by God and enjoy membership in his kingdom forever. Jesus Christ, he's the king of everyone. He's the king for everyone. People sometimes think that Christianity is a white religion. That's a Western religion. These men are from the east. This is all happening, verse 1, in Bethlehem, in Judea, in the east. The Middle East. Amongst all the religions of the world, did you know that Christianity is the only one not limited to a particular culture or geography or people group, but a genuine world faith open to all and open to you this evening. And so I wonder what it is that you are worshipping this Christmas. Because here is an invitation to worship Jesus Christ, the only one who will never fail you, the only one who loves you perfectly through life and death forevermore, and the only one in whom true everlasting joy is to be found.